Welcome to the Broken Pytron Podcast, episode 242. I'm your host, Eric Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli, CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, I'll call this a special edition, edition because due to travel, we're actually recording on a Tuesday. So we'll either sound really smart or really dumb by the time people listen to this, but it's, it's going to be good stuff. I'm leaning on the dumb side, but who knows? We could, we could surprise people. Well, it would be the first time. Uh, so <laughs> let's, <laughs> I, this, this market, all right, we got to talk a little bit about yields and maybe this, this title of this episode should be, did the Fed finally break something? Let me kind of start off though in Austria. Why Austria? Tracy Alloway in, uh, from Bloomberg had put out a, a chart of the Austrian 100-year bond. That's right. Austria issued a 100-year bond. So if you buy it in 100 years, you'd get your principal back. Of course, you could sell it in the market. What's interesting, though, Jay, about this one is this was issued, I believe, pre-2017. We all know that yields went lower and lower and lower. And we know that the longer duration there is in a bond, the more impact from a change in rates, up or down. Well, this bond that was issued at $100, basically you pay $1,000 for per bond, trading at 100 is the price, is the, is the quote. Jay, this one got up almost to $250, meaning it, was, it went up two and a half times. So you spend 1000 you now have 2500 almost. Jay, today that bond is trading at $6,600, down 75% off the highs. I mean, this it's really been a wild ride on this, right? And, you know, you know, we've talked about in the past about how, you know, infinite duration you know, kind of maps like stocks, right? If you think about how the market did in 2018, 19, 2018, 19, 2020, 21, right? Like we had kind of a double in the stock market during that time frame, right? And this bond does kind of that. But you're totally right, man. Like after this this drop that you saw from 250 down to 60 dollars on this bond, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty dramatic. It's just so much leverage in the rate of change of those prices. I mean, you had all the upside, and now you're getting all the downside of rates changing. Austria, place for bond trading. <laughs> well, but good for Austria for issuing the bond because for the next hundred years. I don't know what the the coupon is on this. It's probably like two percent or something. I don't. I'd have to look that up. A lot of people were critical of our government because they said, "Well, you know, we should have bought back debt." Well, number one, there's no call provisions on treasuries. But other people said, "Well, why didn't you issue a lot of long paper, long duration bonds when yields are really low?" And no, they they did not do that. So I don't know. We can move on though. For unless I, I, we do have listeners in Austria, so this might be of interest to them. This is a good one. I think I think it just shows like how extreme, uh, how, what extreme movement you can have in a bond market as you add more duration. I mean, this is about as extreme as it gets. By the way, Jay, we've mentioned things like TLT, TLT on a, a price basis only, so not a total return basis. When you have a bond ETF, really you should count the dividends that you get because those bonds are paying coupons. Jay, on a price basis, uh, it hit, I think, a level, low level, not seen since July of 2007. Again, it's, it's paid interest over time, but there's a lot of carnage in, in the long end of the bond market right now, Jay. Oh, 
Yeah, to say the least, right? I mean, uh, that that I think that's the thing driving all the volatility in the equity market too. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, Derek. Typically, maybe not typically, everybody I think is taught, oh, stocks and bonds will kind of act and behave in a little different manner. But when you look at, say, TLT versus, I don't know, the SPY or the QQQ right now, they are they are moving together in the negative direction, right? So if you sought safety in bonds right now, I think you're probably a little disappointed. I mean, maybe this is, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Did the Fed finally break stuff? They, I mean, we always say that we're going to keep rates high, we're going to keep raising until they break stuff. Did they break it? Well, I mean, the, the, it seems like the bond market is finally, you know, believing the Fed that they're going to leave rates higher for longer. Uh, I think we talked about this last week, right? We're starting to see some maybe some cracks, you know, just everybody's looking around locally what they're seeing. Yeah, I think I think, look, this is what the Fed has been waiting to do. And the consumer has been so strong. It's just taking more time. And by them holding pat with, you know, not, you know, lowering rates because I haven't found a reason to do it. Actually, they're still talking about, uh, you know, maybe another raise, right? I think last week, Kashkari talked about it. Uh, I think this week we've had other Fed governors talk about, yeah, there's probably one more raise. Even this morning, I saw somebody, uh, uh, what is her name? Messer? Oh, man, I keep, I, I don't want to botch Barkin? That. Not Barkin. No. 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 Now I got to look on Bloomberg because that's where I saw it. But yeah, there's another Fed governor out there saying, yeah, there's probably one more raise in this. So I do think that, uh, you know, you're starting to see the impact of expensive money on the economy. And I think the market is now, you know, grasping with that, you know, digesting that a little bit. That's what it seems like. So have they finally broke something? I don't think they did anything specifically to break anything in the last, you know, two months, right, August and September. But maybe the market's finally realizing, like, okay, higher rates aren't the greatest. I want to get to correlations, but you know, you you mentioned sort of the the idea of uh, rates and specifically the the long end, Jay. The yield curve. If we look at the yield curve, even a, I mean, beginning of September versus today, the yield curve is the back end is getting higher. The front end got a little bit higher too, but we're seeing it get flatter. And by flatter, I mean, long end yields, the, you know, five, tens, twenties, thirties are closer to the, the one year and in, and before it was more steep, this carnage, I, I, I shouldn't say carnage. Well, maybe, I mean, long bonds are definitely selling off right now, but I mean, Jamie, we mentioned it last week on the show, Jay, Jamie Diamond said the world's not ready for 7% yields. Like if this uninverts, I mean, what what does that really mean? It's it's either a good thing or a bad thing, and I'll tell you which one it is when I know, right? Yeah, well, we, that's that is that is the uh, standard Derek position. But I, I think it's interesting this, that you and I have been talking about this. I think we've both been on the same side of this. I wish we could argue about it, but I, I think we agree that there's well, there's two ways that the yield curve could you know uninvert, right? Get back to a normalized curve. The near end could come down, or the long end could go up it's starting to look like the long end could go up. It's something you and I have warned or talked about as a real possibility here. Definitely not patting ourselves on the back because we're not right yet. But the trend, the way things are going, uh, that is definitely showing that. And actually, it's interesting you say Jamie Dimon because I almost feel like he's the one that started getting people to pay attention to the world's not ready for 7% uh, versus when Powell has said it, although Powell hasn't said the seven number. But 
yeah, I think things have really started to heat up since Jamie Dimon gave that interview. At this point, it's probably a week and a half, two weeks ago. I think it's really started to create some uh, concern at the long end of the curve. So look, if this re-inverts where the long end surpasses the, the short end, yeah, that's going to bring a little damage to it. That's going to cause some damage in the markets in the short term, most likely, most likely. What do we know? But it feels like the way it's, it seems right now. Well, Cam, Cam Harvey is the one who came out with the 10-3 yield curve inversion. So that was a, I believe it was his doctoral thesis where he went out and he, he sort of looked at data and he said every time the three-month yield inverts and is greater than the 10-year yield, that has preceded every recession. And since he wrote his paper, I think it's the last eight for eight, uh, if if memory serves me. And what we've been seeing is that inversion was at a historic level, meaning the the yields on three months were greater than the 10-year yields by a higher margin, a greater margin than any time in history. What we've seen recently with the, the back end sort of steepening is that that is getting you know more or less inverted. And the interesting thing about this, Jay, is it's one of these things. I'm not saying we're going to have a recession, but it is interesting because every time it has inverted and then uninverts, then you get the recession, Jay. So like, is it, are bonds trying to like tell us that a recession's coming? I don't know. Well... All right, so let's let's get back to the at least the position I've taken is I don't really care so much about the recession. Of course, there will be one eventually. I care how the market is reacting. The market's usually ahead, and so when I when I look at what's happening here, if, we, if this sell off continues, I don't know what are we down there nine percent off the high earlier in the year, right? If we really do see kind of one of those you know minus fifteens, minus nineteens which sometimes happens when the fear of a recession starts to rear its head. Um, you know, that tells me, um, by the way, not making that prediction, uh, we're only halfway there. Uh, that tells me that, you know, we see maybe that recession six months later. So let's say, I'm just going to throw a scenario out there. Let's say we continue to see this downdraft. October turns out to be just as nasty as September. Uh, and we kind of bottom out and get one of those kind of October bounces, maybe go into a Thanksgiving rally kind of a deal. Uh, yeah, a recession six months later would not be unusual with the way that the market reacts. So I think that's a scenario that might play itself out in the short term. So, you know, if, uh, you know, when you think about what that all means uh, for us, and I didn't want to get into this right away, but when you think about this, right, bonds continue to drop uh, longer into the right, bonds values drop, you'll go up. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think you need to be prepared for that as a possibility. The market's definitely feeling a little squirrely, as you and I would say at this point. It would almost be funny, and I say funny with a smile on my face, that everyone was calling for a recession for a long time, and the recession never came. And maybe we had one, and they and the NBER just hasn't designated it yet, and it was a mild one. But it would sort of be apropos with how the predictions go that just when everyone was saying, yeah, the Fed did it, we have a soft landing, no recession, the economy's too strong, jobs are too good, and then a recession comes. It would, it would almost be funny. And, I, and I, I'm sort of being sarcastic about it 
but nobody knows anything. And people go on TV all the time. Well, I mean, it would be it would be par for the course, right? The market will seem to frustrate the most people, right? And everybody waiting, waiting, waiting. And as soon as they switch sides and it turns around and gives them what they were waiting for, but they just couldn't wait it out. I mean, that happens to everybody, no matter you know who you are, right? It's hard to predict what the economy and the market is going to do. It's just difficult. And the best of them can't get it right. You mentioned... And by the way, part of the the thing about making predictions is if you make an outlandish prediction and you get it right, you sort of eat for free for the rest of your life. And I, I always go back to Elaine Garzarelli in the mid-1987 called That's for That's right a crash. where I go to, right there. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, are you making fun of me? Because I know I, random stuff. <laughs> listen, I would never make fun of you for that. It's just not something that I would go to. So great job on you going right to Elaine Garzanelli. Garzarelli. Elaine Garzarelli. See, I don't yeah, even know so where she supposed to go. Do a do a search on uh, on Google later, but limit the years to like January first to December thirty first, nineteen eighty seven, and look it up. She was interviewed by the New York Times. I think it was the Times. Where she was saying, you know, uh, this, this, and this is problematic, and I think we could see a, a crash, and then it happened. So, you know, that's, uh, but you know, you, if you go on TV and say, you know, I don't really know, I, Ralph Akinpora, he was a famous technician. I know Ralph. That one I know, Derek. I know famous technician. Well, you may remember we had events at, at TD Ameritrade, and Ralph was uh, the featured speaker. Sure, yeah, and somebody, of course. Somebody asked him uh, from the audience about something. He was telling a story about how one time one of the nightly newses called him and uh, he, they said, you know, what, what happened? He said, more sellers than buyers. And he said, well, after that, they didn't want him to come on and, and talk. I think that's the story I remember him telling. I feel the same way whenever you say more sellers than buyers, by the way. <laughs> so that started, though. So this is no, that was before I heard that from from Ralph Alcampora. That started, Jay, because you know, years ago, you before the internet, before everything, when I was on a trading desk, people would call and they'd say, "Why is the stock down today?" And there was no, we had no news, we had nothing. We saw the prices, and we we put trades in, and that was my thing. When it was up, I'd say, "I don't know, more buyers than sellers, more sellers than buyers." That's it. And and people, something people would say, "Oh, okay, good, good." I don't know. They bought it. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I mean, forget about what's causing there to be more sellers than buyers, but there you go. I guess that's good. Yeah. All right. Speaking of sellers and buyers, uh, bonds are down. Stocks are down this, uh, I'd say over the last two weeks, you mentioned correlations early and a lot of people had written about, you know, is, is the 60, 40, 40 portfolio dead? And I say, Yeah. I, I wrote about it in my book, Broken Pie Chart, available on Amazon today. And I think, it, I think it is problematic. But with rates coming up again, people are saying, oh, no, it's not dead. Now that 40% of your portfolio, you're actually getting paid. You're getting paid to have that. But the challenge, though, is correlations. And what we're seeing right now is that, as you, you nailed it, Jay, I mean, stocks are down, bonds are down. In fact, if you look... Uh, there was a chart put out. This is from Jesse Felder on Twitter. And I think he was retweeting Julian Brigden. I like to try and give uh, credit when I can, when I remember it anyway. So over or historically, there's a lot of times where bonds and stocks have 
anti-correlation or they're, they're non-correlated, meaning stocks go up, bonds go down, and the inverse. In 2008, treasuries rallied when the market was down, that flight to safety. But when you look recently, and it's really an inflationary period, so the late, uh, let's see, well, this is actually 90 to 99, correlations were closer to one. Inflationary period right now, starting with, we won't say the, the C word, uh, during the illness. We don't want to get the blue check marks on our, on our page there. And we've seen really correlations when you don't want it. So I think the, what's problematic in a rising rate environment where maybe bonds rates and bonds selling off is causing problems in the stock market. The thing that's supposed to protect the portfolio maybe isn't as reliable. Yeah, I so to, to what you're talking about here is that the price of bonds and the price of stocks, right? So when they are correlated, that means when one goes down, the other goes down as well. When they are inversely correlated, they go the other way, right? When stocks go down, bonds go up or vice versa. And it's been uh, historically, like modern portfolio theory tells us the whole point of holding 40% bonds against your 60% stocks is that, look, bonds are going to pay you maybe not the same rate as stocks, but they're going to act as a, a buffer or a deadening vehicle if the market gets uh, bearish on you. And as a sell-off, then your bonds are going to, A, remain stable and you know pay you a dividend, and B, they, they could probably go up in that environment because there's a flight to safety. And that definitely, you're right, has existed. And when I, when I, when I look at this chart that you were nice enough to send me ahead of time, for the most part, you know, all the way back to 2000, in the two, early 2000s, that was the case, right, where uh, there was an inverse correlation between the two. But recently, you're right, in these, these periods of, uh, with inflation, uh, there is a much, they are positively correlated. And am I reading this right, Derek, that we're at like a 0.3 correlation, right? So that means, uh, you know, that's, it's, not, it's not a high... Uh, confidence number yet, but they are correlated right now recently. And we're definitely seeing as stocks go down, bond prices are going down. Uh, I think the good news here is, you know, if we really, if you look back, there's a chance that this kind of breaks over time. Uh, it's, uh, and then it flips back the other way. So I, I'm with you. And I, I don't know if you said this exactly, but you know, it's, you're, Yes, you're getting paid, you know, a dividend or a yield for holding bonds, but your underlying price is probably offsetting that uh, uh, to the negative, right? The loss of the underlying bond price is more than the yield you've been paid. Um, you know, I think the aggregate bond index, the AGG, is is negative for the year to the tune of 3%. And that includes its dividends. Right. So, again, you know, I, I, I'm with you, Derek. This is this might be another year where 6040 again fails to produce the uh, uh, the lower volatility or the superior returns to, you know, to an equity portfolio or like we do a hedged equity portfolio where we think there's a better way to lower volatility through the use of options. That was my little pitch for buying hedge. I'll just point out, I mean. I called bonds a doorstop when rates were near zero. And, and the reason why they're a doorstop, because if, they're, if they were in the portfolio, they're giving you nothing. And basically, 
you might as well have had just cash. It's essentially holding cash. Now, bonds are yielding something now. And we know in our hedged equity portfolios, we use very short duration treasuries right now. In, in other strategies, we're using treasuries where you're, you're starting out with a, over 5% in something that's, that's a very safe asset. But when correlations, I think that the point on correlations, like you look at the taper tantrum, correlations were, were anti-correlated, I'll say, or non-correlated, and all of a sudden they become very correlated. The German bun blow up. Uh, I won't get into that, but went from low correlation to high correlation. Inflation spike in, uh, I think that was probably 2019, 2020, quantitative tightening. You know, all these times that uh, all of a sudden things become highly correlated. It's like when you need it most, sometimes it, it fails you. But I don't know. I mean, to me, like the reason you hold bonds is because you want something that's going up when everything else is going down or something that holds steady. And to your point, Jay, if you have hedges in a portfolio, like why not own more of the, the market, but maybe accomplish the same thing or maybe better or similar by just being hedged? Well, I, yeah. And, and, you know, we, like you said, we do use bonds in our portfolios. There's a use for them, right? They're, they can be a utility. Uh, I think the philosophy or maybe the investment strategy that we're saying may not work again, maybe uh, uh, a, a symptom or of the broken pie chart, as you pointed out, uh, might just be, uh, you know, the funds that, you know, look to have kind of the regular rate of return. But for us, yeah, there's a specific use for them, especially when you're holding a treasury to, you know, to mature, right? You have a specific goal. And if you have the, you know, if the strategy is to hold it because it's designed to pay for something, I think that's a little different than what we're talking about here with correlations. So, you know, look, we certainly use them. They have returns uh, today. They're a lot better utility than they were in the past. Uh, but just, you know, again, beware. But look, I, I think... Like if somebody said to me, like, hey, I, I you know, I want to get out of this market. I want to, you know, cash in my hedges and I'm ready to kind of, you know, sit on the sideline. If I couldn't talk them out of that, then the obvious answer is, well, at least let's buy you a six month, you know, treasury. Right. You're not taking a ton of risk here and you're going to get paid over five percent these days for that. So I think it's an alternative. Much better than your zero point zero one percent in your bank account, Jay. Oh, I still left my money there. Gosh, I got to move that out of my chief. It's like the leaky, the, the plumber with the leaky faucet. I just got to take care of my own house. I'm just kidding. I've, I've moved most of it by now, Derek. So just so you know, I bought three-month treasuries. I was going to uh, schedule a, a session with you, Jay, but uh, apparently <laughs> advice is. All right, let me move on from this because I know uh, we have some other things to cover. One thing I, I thought, just on yields, um, okay, I lied. We're going to stay on yields for a second. The 30-year treasury is 4.94% last time I looked, the yield. I mean, we're getting close to 5%. It was under 1% back in 2020. You know, if you would have bought a bond, a 30-year brand new off-the-rack bond in 2020, it's probably off 60% now. I haven't looked. But yeah, I mean, it's five-year yields. Um, what is five? Five is, you know, four, eight, 10 year, four, eight. And yeah, I mean, you know, you're seeing the 20 years a little bit of an anomaly because there's, there's not a lot of volume there that always has sort of a kink, but that one is 5.1. So, and even on, I mean, look at the short end too. I mean, think about this for years, you got nothing on your money. 
three-month bonds are five and a half percent treasuries, U.S. Treasury bills. Six-month are, you know, about 5.6%. So, yeah, there is an alternative. Remember, it was the TINA trade. Uh, I don't know what the acronym is for. There is there is an alternative. Is that there is an alternative? T-I-A-O? Is that a word? Tio? I don't know. It is, it is now. It is so. All right, Jay. Other things to take a look at. The the news isn't well. All right. So I think this is Ben Carlson. I put this out on Twitter, and he put a table and he said the starting interest rates versus the stock market returns since 1926. And let me set this up. So, for example, when the starting yields are four to six percent. One year later, the market uh, is up 6.3%. Five years cumulative, up 34.7%, up 77% plus 10 and plus 420% 20 years out. What was interesting about this, and that's that's sort of where we are now. By yields, we mean the 10-year. When you go up and it's 6 to 8% or 8% or higher, like the returns uh, plus 20 years, are really good. And by the way, zero to two percent post zero to two percent returns are really good. Like the market seems to do really good. I, I mean, there's some of this though, Jay, that like was the market really, really low that they had to lower yield to zero to two percent. And so you're starting at a low base. Like I, I don't know. I think the good news is it seems like markets are usually up all the time <laughs> based upon looking at this. According to this, it's always up. Yeah. Right. You kind of have to couch this a little bit. Yeah, I, I do. Th- you know, when I looked at this data, so thank you for providing it to me the full few minutes before we started today. By the way, I've been asked multiple times, does Derek really not, you guys really don't prep, right? And my answer no. is no. Like we look at the, you, you do put together some material to cover and then we just start. So anyway, uh, yeah, when I when I look at this, so there's, you're right, there is a little good news here that, hey, if the 10 years between four to six percent, the average one year return after that is 6.3 percent. That seems that seems pretty good. Incidentally, I think that's right where we are now. Right. Like, is that where the market is about six percent, seven percent up for the year? We could take a look at it. I didn't see after today's uh, not great sell off here on uh, October 3rd. Um, so, yeah, that's not bad. But every other rate environment seems to be a little better, right? And the farther you get away from this four to six, it seems to be kind of the anchor. Uh, it gets better, right? So if you start the year between two to 4%, the one-year return is actually double that, right? 6.3 compared to 13.6. Um, so I just, I guess I'm, uh, I'm, you know, while this seems kind of encouraging, I'm not, I'm not all that encouraged that the environment that we're in seems to be one that, uh, if any scenario, is going to be more challenging to the market. It seems like it's this. I I would also say, Derek, you're probably right. Like, by logic, you would think that an 8% or 9% or 10% 10-year environment uh, probably means the sell-off's already occurred (laughs) and and you're in a rebound phase, right? So you're right. I think it's, you know, you don't know what happened leading into one of the, each one of these years. I think that would be more interesting to see the, you know, Minus one year, like what happened the year that ended at rates at 8% or higher. But that's my my feedback on this. So you're right. I think it's a little cherry picking. But even with the cherry picking, this isn't, you know, this isn't all roses. It doesn't look great. 
By the way, that's why we hedge. I mean, neither of us, I mean, we, we talk on this, uh, on this show and we sort of give what we're thinking in the moment, but it doesn't change really anything that we're doing. I mean, the core thing we do is to buy and hedge, uh, uh, I mean, or buy and have buffers and things like that. So, you know, that neither of us is saying, yeah. The only thing we can really control when it comes to investing is the risk we take, right? That's, that's all we can. We can't control the outcomes, right? I mean, I go back to my days when I was, you know, pretty high up on the ladder at TD Ameritrade, definitely in the one of the top 10 people there. And I knew every single thing that was going to happen in that company. And our stock price, I couldn't tell you what it was going to do, right? You just don't know the all of the factors that are going to impact the market. And so you're right. It's just, it's one of those things, Derek, that uh, it's why we're always, you know, managing our risk. And the for us, the best way to do it, we still like to stay invested. We still like to follow the long-term trends of markets go up over time. But you never know when you're going to get a, 2020 or a 2022 that that you know is going to rock your world a little bit so that is why we manage risk through hedging sometimes when it's hardest to stay invested is when you're rewarded the most and part of the ability to stay invested can be the ability to or that you know the fact that you have hedges on we've seen over and over again that individuals who who panic who try and time markets, just, you know, they, they sort of miss out. And I know that social media and, and, you know, anybody says, well, I got this right, I got this right. You're not seeing people's audited, you know, performance returns for every account that they have, you know, all these claims that people make. And, and you and I, I mean, well, especially me, I'm, I'm critical of the people who every six months come out and say the sky's going to fall and we're going to go down 80%. They've made that same prediction every six months for the last 10 years. So yeah, I mean, be, be hedged, be invested. All right, Jay, let me go to, all right, I guess we- hey, Derek, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going I'm to pull an audible on you. As we're sitting here, I'm watching uh, CNBC on my other monitor, and I see that Re- uh, Representative McCarthy has been removed from the speakership uh, of, uh, of the House. He is no longer Speaker of the House. Does that matter for the markets? I don't well, think so. Well, I think it shows instability. I think you got the whole, oh my gosh, can we trust the stability of the United States? Does that push yields higher? Probably. Yeah, I think it probably, it's not so much that, uh, you know, who's in matters, but I think it'll probably add to a little fear and volatility. But no, not, I don't think in the long run it matters at all. And when I mean long run, like the medium run, like, in the next few months, it doesn't matter. But I think we may see a little reaction in the market from that tomorrow. Just a guess. We'll see when this comes out, if that actually happened or not. Or if it's complete, you know, opposite reaction and that was one of the last shoes to drop. I don't know. Let's We can maybe talk about the rule of three that uh, you and I have kind of, I've always bounced around a little bit. I'm not sure if this fits in there or not. Maybe instability in the government might be one of them. Or could it be oil prices and the strategic petroleum reserve, Jay? Uh, I did have a chart in my my notes to you. According to, this is LSEG data stream and Reuters. This is from September 28th. 17 days is the days left in the SPR right now. The average is 32. I am baffled. <laughs> By this, like, how is how is nobody talking about the SPR being virtually <laughs> depleted? 
Like, <laughs> is this just fine? Strategically, we don't care anymore. I like, I just, again, you know, you, you were, uh, ahead of this one to point this one out, Derek. So thank you for continuing to bring it to light that, uh, yeah. So the, the, I'm not so worried about the, the safety of America. Don't get me wrong, but I do think this is a thing that will, will push inflation higher, right? It's going to have to, you know, while oil is kind of taken out of the core number, uh, it's certainly in the headline number and you can't help, uh, uh avoid the ripple effects of higher oil and gas costs, costs, especially as we're going into the winter. Are they still actually draining this? I haven't, I'll have to look at that. I didn't do the, my homework for that, but I'm like, really? Are they still emptying this to try and keep prices low? That seems, but it never works. It never works. And so over the long term, the data says that um, Biden's done this, George W. Bush did this, other presidents have, have done this where you sort of release oil into the marketplace. And the idea is you, you bring on new supply and you might see a temporary blip in prices, but it really doesn't matter. And so 17 days is not nothing, but it just means if we got no more, if we ran out of oil and we just use what's in the, the SPR, according to this chart over the next 17 days, you know, we, we'd have it as opposed to having it for 32 and a half days or something like this. But Jay, Brent crude is over 90 now. Uh, that's not insignificant. I don't know. Like, does that, did the Fed break something in its oil that, or maybe the U.S. government broke it? I don't know. Yeah, it, it feels like an un, un, non, a non-Fed related breakage here to this. Wow, we're really, we're getting a little bearish, Derek, I feel. Everything we're talking about here is trouble ahead. <laughs> Why didn't you I give know, me any good is, news in the in the well, list? Of time? We just didn't. I didn't. I didn't like it either. Did I? I mean, should I should I skip over the the John Hussman data? I mean, oh no, let's let's hit everybody up on that one because it's been a while since we've talked about that. Let's let's just get it all out there today. Yeah. So John Hussman runs. Uh, he he posts a really really long in depth pieces where he's looking at macro stuff and he's looking at uh, different measures. He puts out a chart, and it's the estimated 12-year S&P nominal annual total return. And so the way that, that he puts this out, there's two lines. If you could see this, you'd see two lines. There's a red line and the blue line. The red line stops, and it stops. At this point, it's right around, I don't know, 2011. And the reason why that is, that tells you what the actual, from that point forward, annualized 12-year future return was. Today, as of October 3rd, uh, it looks like basically his forecasting 0% annualized yield here to 12 years from now. And then if you look back, so, I mean, kind of these numbers, these two lines kind of match up. And so, I mean, and this is sort of a reason I bring this up and this seems like it's like, oh, sell everything, sell it. No, no, no. This actually supports being hedged because if, if you believe this, if, if you, you know, um, look at these numbers, you would say, well, at some point you probably have a pullback. But if you're hedged, it's a good way to sort of not maybe take those big drawdowns. But I don't know. That's the way I see it, Jay. Yeah. I mean, so right now when you look at this, it says the last 12 years, the annual average return on a nominal basis is what, around nine-ish, right? Because it looks back 12 years and says what's been the average return. 
that is, am I accurate in saying that the 12 year period, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. You can't, we don't know what the 12 year look back will be, uh, you know, after the, you know, from here, right? So when you, you're, it's very interesting to look and, and it's not a straight down line, but it is kind of a downtrend. So what it means is when you look at this, if these lines were to kind of reconverge and there's been a little divergence in these two, right? Where the actual returns have kind of separated from his projection is, you know, we may have a few years at 8%, a few years at 6%, 4% all the way down. So yeah, it's, it's not an immediate, like from today for the next 12 years, this is projecting you'll make zero per year, but it says that the app, you should expect a reduction in return going forward after the very higher, the very high rates that we had, you know, for over the last 12 years. So yeah, it's not great news at all. Um, and there's certainly been times where this has diverged, where the returns have been higher than projected. Uh, I see times, Derek, right? Like 2003 to maybe 2000. Well, even right now, I mean, where it is right now, you said it was it was probably close to nine. I think the, the forecast would have been uh, four and a half to five. So it actually doubled what was projected. So yeah, so it's it, but it's it's more the trends seem to have been lined up going all the way back to he's got the back to nineteen twenty eight here. So yeah, just and the things that drive this right, um, the data that he's using is doing things like looking at the ten year bond rate. He's looking at uh, uh, what does he got there? What's that data point? 63% of the T-bill yield. Yeah. So like this is, I mean, I don't know if you've ever posted this in the show notes before, Derek, but it might be worth looking at that, like letting folks see this thing. And, uh, look, if, if you're someone who's, you know, you know, like, well, I'm thinking of retiring in the next five or six years, and then you're trying to figure out what you're going to make for the next 20 after that, this is one of those data points that, you know, should help you decide uh, or help, you know, inform you a little bit as to kind of your forward growth rate, right? Because that's important, right? When you're planning on, you know, how much you need to make so that, you know, things like retirement uh, can come into play, uh, it matters, right? So I think that's that's where this is useful. I think if you're, you know, you're not thinking about retiring yet, I know you're not, Derek, I know I'm not, then maybe this is something that's good when we speak to other people. But it might be interesting to post this, Derek, because I think there's some use in this. Yeah, I've actually extended an offer to have him on. Uh, I'll see if it, someday he uh, he takes that up. But uh, his, I, I really like his stuff. And even if you disagree with him, it's it's so detailed the pieces that he puts out. So it's really interesting. But Jay, here's some good news. Uh, Nick Majulia on Twitter pointed out that uh, you know what we really do have it better today than we did years ago. And just to show you that it's not all bad today. Did you know that global youth mortality rates in the 1950s were 27%? Today, or at least uh, through 2017, global youth mortality rates are only 4.6%. And for a long time, it was like 46%. Things are better today. Like, you know, I know things don't seem that great sometimes, and people go on TV and social media, but you know, life expectancy is going up. Infant mortality is going down. World poverty is dropping. So don't let everybody tell you that everything's really bad, Jay. How's that? I like that. You finish on a strong note here, Derek. I like that. It is better. That is true. Some things are just better. Uh, I'll start. I have a, a, I'm going to double down on my 
uh, Zeke Fox, spelled F-A-U-X, number go up. It's the the story of, you know, for Sam Bankman-Fried, the trial is starting today. The first line in his book is, quote, I'm not going to lie, Sam Bankman-Fried told me. This was a lie. Just classic. <laughs> so I- uh, You're I'm, I, on it. Excellent. I started to read it. I'm going to give a full- Maybe I'll extend an offer to have him come on as an author. I don't know. But he, um, I think this is great. And he, he even said, you know, at some point, where, where did they say this? Uh, I forget what it is. But he, he's like, you know, I would like to say that I'm the one who uncovered the, the fraud. Uh, but it wasn't me. I was taken, taken in like everybody else. So number go up. I think it's uh, so far I'm, I'm really encouraged by it. And as a crypto skeptic, Jay, I couldn't be happier. Ah, it's everybody loves to hear their own thoughts repeated back to them. That's true. That's right. That's good. Good. Do you know Michael will, Lewis is taking some heat down. though? Do you know that? Oh no, he put out a book. really. Well, I guess he put out a book and he went on sixty minutes, and seemed to be defending SBF and sort of, you know, going against the guy. Is it John Ray, the guy who's supposed to untangle the whole, the, the guy they bring in to sort of clean up? Um. Yeah, like I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on there with Michael Lewis. I, I, I haven't read his book, so to be fair, I don't, I don't know. But all right, Jay, let's let's go to yours. Yes, real quick, I will double down on Foundation on uh, Apple. I just I finished it. It finished really strong. So if you like sci-fi, you really want to pay attention to it. And uh, uh, it's it's kind of like uh, Star Wars meets Game of Thrones without the gore. So. Uh, I would I would double down on that one. If you haven't looked at it yet, catch it, catch it, give it time. It's worth it. How many episodes in? Like you got to give it, let it season I'm a bit, done. like three, four. No, 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 no. Yeah, give it. No, I think it's interesting all around. Beautifully done. Great story. Uh, just, you know, it's not too hard to stick with, really. Okay. Jay, next week we'll uh, we'll get back on the volatility horse. We simply ran out of time with all the talk about rates, but rates is driving things now. Jay, thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to everyone real soon.